the pitch. Swing and a base hit to left center field. And Camellia's going to score. This game is over. On an RBI hit by Mickey Poe. Thanks for taking the time to download and listen to the Philadelphia Baseball Review Podcast. I'm Patrick Gordon, founder and executive editor of the Philadelphia Baseball Review. Our mission is to cover baseball at all levels throughout the Philly region, with a particular focus on promoting the amateur, high school, and college ranks. Our aim is to tell the untold baseball stories across the Quaker City. So please be sure to follow me on Twitter if you're not already at PGordonPBR. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you may be listening. Also, leave us a review. And be sure to visit PhiladelphiaBaseballReview.com where you can sign up for our daily newsletter. Now, let's get into today's show. All right, joining me tonight is 2019 Ivy League Pitcher of the Year and one of Penn's top hurlers over the past decade. He finished his college career at Notre Dame. He's now back with Penn as pitching development coordinator. He's another Jersey guy. Christian Scafidi, welcome. Hey, thanks, Patrick. Thanks for having me on. Super excited to be here and and talk to you guys about you know my career, kind of the what, what we got going forward, and and the future of baseball in general. Awesome, and and we are happy to have you here. So, first and foremost, Penn. I got to talk to you. You know, many people view Penn as this bastion of academics, which it is actually. It is a legit school for those wondering. Yeah. Um, but the baseball program is sort of one of these unheralded in college baseball programs that that's very, very strong year in, year out. Walk me through your process in high school. What made you look at Penn? What kind of other programs were you considering? And then what was the deciding factor for you? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as you mentioned, a South Jersey guy, right? So just local around the area. Um, and my dad grew up in, in South Philadelphia, uh, right down the street from Lincoln Financial Field. He worked at Citizens Bank Park. Uh, and we actually spent uh, you know, a lot of our, our younger years in the palestra watching uh, Temple play, watching obviously Penn play, watching, you know, all the big five uh, play basketball. My dad actually played at uh, Westchester State when, back when it was Division One, So he played a lot of games in there uh, and kind of took us there so we could learn the history of it. Um, and in, in high school, you know, it was really when I started to put an emphasis on academics. Again, my parents kind of all over us for that. They told us that that was our job. You know, a lot of kids, some kids in high school got jobs. They said, look, your job is to be a student. We want you to get the best education possible. Um, and, and me and my, my brothers took that pretty seriously. So my oldest brother, he's 30 years old now. He actually also went to Penn. Right. Um, he graduated in 2013, I believe. Uh, they actually had a JV basketball team back then, and he played on that JV basketball team. Uh, for a couple of years. So we knew about the school. Obviously, we knew the history of it. Uh, we had the importance of academics there, which I, you know, probably talk about a little bit later uh, in terms of just being able to get recruited. And, you know, it was a thing where I had never really heard much about the baseball team. Again, I, I talk more about basketball, uh, but I didn't really know much about, about the Penn baseball team until I started getting more serious about baseball. Um, I got my first offer from... Iona College in New York. Uh, that was when I was a junior. Kind of things started to pick up from there. Was looking at schools um, like Binghamton, uh, more a little bit of more of more local schools. I would say I talked to Holy Cross, Lehigh, uh, Lafayette, uh, other schools in the Ivy League, Cornell, uh, and and Columbia. 
and I emailed Princeton. They actually did not uh, get back to me. <laughs> so they're lost. Right. Exactly. And I ended up, uh, you know, I laugh about it. I ended up beating them a couple of years uh, into my career during that season. Um, but, you know, just kind of everything made sense for me. I was able to go home on a weekend when I wanted to, but it was enough of a, of a distance where I could have kind of my own life and kind of really buy into everything that Penn had going on. Um, the coaches there are great. Uh, John Yerkow, Josh Schwartz, and Mike Santello, uh, you know, some, some great mentors and coaches, the best I've had so far in my career. And I think that that kind of combination of everything really sold me on Penn uh, coming out of high school and, you know, how's how can you turn down an Ivy league education and the opportunity to play baseball in what I would learn to be one of the more competitive divisions, uh, you know, in the, in the country. Again, not a lot of people know about it. Like you said, it's it's a bunch of smart kids, but (laughs) the, the, the competition level was, was something that, you know, is, is serious and, and it's com- com- competed at almost any level as we see guys, you know, in the past couple of years going from Ivy league, we got guys in the ACC, the SEC. Um, yeah. You know, every, every major conference there is, there's guys in the Ivy league that, that are, that are competing and uh, excelling in those conferences. Yeah. And we will definitely touch on, you know, COVID and how that sort of decimated, sadly, the Penn program, because you guys had some quality, quality talent there. And, you know, you went on to Notre Dame and, and uh, you know, I think Mitchell went to Rice and uh, Peter Matt went to Duke. And, you know, there, there's some extreme talent there jumping from the Ivy to the ACC. And it wasn't like they were going and taking on bench spots or or like you were taking a bullpen spot at Notre Dame. You were a weekend starter there. And again, I think it's one of those items that is just overlooked. And, and that's, you know, this area in general, college baseball. I mean, we're very, very lucky you know, Philadelphia from D1 to D3 to have some really quality programs. And, you know, I think we we get sort of this this shaft because we're in the Northeast, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we can't play year round like Clemson or Vanderbilt or, you know, Miami or Florida State. And it's tough. But, you know, there's some quality talent here. No, you're absolutely right. And, you know, when I look at Northeast baseball versus playing in some other places, I've been down and played in Florida, played against teams from Florida, uh, played with guys from the West Coast, from, again, you know, more Southern states. Uh, there's just a difference in in attitude and in a will almost, you know, in desire to play the game, right? You know, it, it's again, it's cold. Right. Um, it's it's the weather's not great up here. It's not warm. We can't be outside playing every day. We have to find a way to get inside to get our work in. And I think that's actually a, a separator and why I love uh, Northeast baseball in a sense. If you want to get your work in or if you're yeah. a guy that you want to be good, you have to be creative, right? And find ways to do it. So the guys who are playing at those programs, you know, from the division three level to the division one level and, and everywhere in between those are guys that want to be where they are and they're pushing a little bit harder. It's not so simple to say in February or March, you know, leading up to a season to go outside and practice, you know, we're still dealing with snow on the ground where we're, where we're inside of, you know, bubbles. We're in gymnasiums and, you know, our high school to practice in in the gymnasium, even after our high school season started that, you know, the pen pen has the bubble up until we're about halfway done our season. And we're, and we're practicing in there halfway through the spring because it's just too cold to, to go outside, but you got to find those ways to kind of get your work in. And again, it's, it's about wanting to do it and having the will to do it, finding different ways to go about it. And that's one of the big separators for me from an attitude standpoint, sure. uh, 
that, that really puts Northeast baseball at, at the top of the map. And, you know, you look at, at the pro level, there's guys from this area all over the pro level, you know, we're, and we're getting guys, a lot of guys I played with, you know, you mentioned Peter Matt earlier, went on to play at Duke now with the Cubs, you know, up and rising players in these minor league systems. And there, a lot of them are coming from the Northeast. Right. Yeah. And I, th- I mean, this is many teams I'm sure, but I remember maybe three years ago, I was talking to Fritz Hamburg over at St. Joe's and he mentioned how, you know, their first game of the season was the first time they actually were outside all year, you know, and I think that's probably more common than people think. Absolutely. You, there was, there was, uh, it was my freshman year is what, what sticks out to me the most. We were going down to play uh, North Florida and they were eight games into their season. And it was the same situation. We hadn't stepped foot outside. We had right. had some live scrimmages, but again, we're in an indoor setting. We're going off um, pitching machines and it's just not that same environment. So, you know, we got beat in that series pretty bad. Um, and, but the emphasis for us the rest of that time, or, you know, kind of as that team grew was, okay, we now understand that we're not going to be able to do that. We can't use right. this as an excuse, right? We have to say, we know what, what we're up against. Right. And now we have to find a way to be ready for when we go play those teams who have the better weather or whatever right. this may be. Now, how about the transition for you from high school to Penn, uh, pitching wise? Walk us through, you know, w- the the level of work that you had to put in. You know, now at the D one level, just the level of of time that you had to put into everything to to really excel and, and, and be as good as you were. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, in high school, I was a two sport athlete, uh, played basketball and baseball, and I think that actually played a little bit to my benefit. I hadn't really kind of unlocked all that I had on the mound. Um, I was still putting some time into, into playing basketball and kind of just, just enjoying high school, you know, the end of high school. And obviously I worked hard when it came to baseball season, but I was, when I was playing basketball, I wasn't working at baseball. So as soon as I got to Penn, you know, there was a realization of, wow, I was the best player on my high school team, or I was one of the best players in, in the area. And now there's, there's 20 guys here who are just as good and better than me. So if I want to really separate myself and step up and, and have the career I want or be in a starting role or, or be in the position that I want to, I really had to say, I need to, I need to change some things around. This is going to become almost a job, a year round kind of commitment. And that was, and it was over my first, uh, that full season. And then that summer was kind of really where things clicked for me in terms of finding a routine, uh, having some success on the mound, and really understanding all that it was going to take to be where I wanted to be and to have a successful career. Um, right. So I look at, again, that summer, I had had six or seven innings uh, out of the bullpen. I did not want to be, I was a starter in high school. And here I am in the bullpen pitching in, you know, not, not very crucial situations. And that was just wasn't where I wanted to be. I wanted to be a starter. It was kind of all I had known. So I, I took that summer and I said, okay, how can I become a starter? You know, our coaches said, we want you to get in a little bit of be- better shape. We want you to, you know, throw some more innings. You need a little bit more experience and we need to start working on your breaking ball. So I said, okay, when I come back to school next year, I'm going to be in the best shape I've been in so far. I'm going to have the best, be- best breaking ball I've had so far. And I'm going to be the best pitcher I've been so far. So that summer, uh, I actually was living at home. I played in the local ACBL uh, with the right. South Jersey Giants, who are no longer an organization, unfortunately. But that was the best thing for me because 
I didn't really have much. I just was able to stay home, eat how I wanted, kind of take care of things on that end. And then I was able to play, play the game. Now there were some challenges because some of my buddies who weren't playing college ball were enjoying their summer. There was a lot of time, you know, that spent down the shore, um, you know, Hey, you want to come want to do this? And I actually had to sacrifice a decent amount that summer. It was a lot of no. I think at one point they stopped asking me because I would say, no, I have, <laughs> I have, I have a practice. I have a game, you know, because right. I knew that that summer was going to matter for how I was going to play that next year. And it was, you know, five, six days a week where I'm lifting three times a week. I'm throwing four times a week. We have games three times a week. I'm pitching to them twice. Cause I was in, I was in a little bit of a hybrid kind of bullpen role. And at the start of that season, they were like, okay, you're a bullpen starter. You're a bullpen pitcher at Penn. So you're going to be the bullpen for us. Right. And I said, you know, I went up to our, to the coach who's actually, I believe he was at St. Joe's um, for a little while as, as an assistant. And I said, Hey, can I get some, can I get a start? Like, would I be able to, to do that? And so I just kind of worked, worked my way up and, and did well enough to where he was like, you know, we think we can start exp- extending you. I was getting three out, three innings, four innings, five innings at a time, uh, ultimately kind of leading up into what would become a starting role in that sophomore season. And then, you know, I spent the next four years kind of, or three and a half, four years figuring out how to change that. You know, I would go into lifting four times a week in the off season. I would go into long toss twice a week, uh, flat rounds three times a week. So it was, it was a lot, a lot of work and a big adjustment from three months out of the year when I'm in high school, I'm practicing every day for an hour, right? High school team to, okay, now this is probably an eight or nine month deal where I'm doing most of the work on my own, where we have practice, but I can't just do what's at practice. I have to go, I have to go and get an, a lift in. I have to go do an extra lift on top of our two team lifts a week. I want to do three, you know? So it was, it was kind of finding out what worked best for me. And then also realizing I got to put more time into this if I actually wanted to be good, which, which was a big adjustment. Uh, from from how it was in high school. Now that 2019 season, Christian, where you know you go on to win Ivy League Pitcher of the Year, you know all these different accolades. At what point during the season did you realize, hey, this is something special? And you know it kind of it it became clear to you. So it's actually funny, like that at the start of that season, um, I had had a great summer that summer before, and I think I had a .4 ERA in 40 innings in the coastal plains league. And I was, it was warm weather. I was pitching great, feeling good about myself coming in. And at the start of the year, it it didn't necessarily go as I wanted it to, you know, I had some okay starts in our, in our uh, spring, on our spring trip. Um, But just, just wasn't, just wasn't where I wanted it to be. You know, I had gotten away from something in my mechanics that had helped me have success in the summer. So luckily we found that. And it wasn't until my first start against uh, Harvard, I gave up, I think it was something around 11 earned runs or I try to forget it, but it's hard to. Um, right. And our, and our coach, you know, had a talk with me in the bullpen. He said, look, I don't know what you're trying to do. You're, you know, you have to figure out how to be successful with who you are as a player and who you are as a pitcher. You know, he said, if, if you're going to be 88 to 90, then we need you to be 88 to 90 with a good slider and command the ball as well as you do. He said, you know, we can't try to, you know, throw 92, 90, you know, obviously those are great goals to have, but that's not what's 
we need to be, we need you to be the best version of you. Sure. So I really kind of took that into consideration. Again, you know, I, I, I was, I was the starting the first game uh, on that Saturday. We played those double headers. They moved me back to Sunday for that next week. Actually, they said, we'll take an extra day during this work week. We wanted, uh, we figured out what we wanted to work on. Uh, just kind of making my hand quicker uh, and my arm swing up to, to ball release. Right. So I took that extra day, um, got, got to working on it and, and immediately saw a difference, felt, felt, felt a difference and saw the difference in the results that next week. And I believe we were playing at Brown, um, kept, kept working on it. You know, over that two weeks, I probably, you know, did 200 more throws or, you know, whatever the number is more than I normally would knowing that that was what I needed to work on. Um, I think it was a start at Dartmouth. I would gone eight, I had gone eight scoreless and uh, things were kind of making sense. And, 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 you know, it started to, to, to just carry over into the next weekend. Uh, I think I, you know, ended up with a um, complete game against Cornell uh, pitched well in eight, eight and a third against Princeton. Um, so I think it was really that if I, if I had to pick a moment, that Dartmouth game where, you know, I'd, I had done okay the week before with what we were working on. We kept working on it, and I really kind of found my identity, kind of, kind of found myself, and, and hit my stride right there in that moment, uh, carrying over into that rest of that season, um, and, and just tried to finish out as as strong as I could, and uh, I was able to have some success with it. Now, now, Christian, your final start at Penn, you know, was a complete game, gem, eleven strikeouts, five hits. Uh, one run, which I believe was unearned uh, against Florida International. Does that game still stick with you last time wearing a Quakers jersey? Absolutely. That's that's a moment in my career that I will never forget. Um, you know, not knowing that it was my last game, but in a sense, kind of leaving everything out there on the field, something I try to do every game. And, you know, I, I got all 27 outs. I did everything that I could that game to help us win. Um, so like that in itself was a special memory for me. Again, it was one of those games where you're just kind of in the zone. You know, you have a, there's some games where things might not be going your way. And then there's games where things, where everything's going your way. And that was one of those games for me, um, you know, locating the fastball wherever I wanted, going down and away, you know, I was able to pitch at the top of the zone effectively, swing some swings and misses on some breaking balls, some high fastballs. Uh, I remember a kid got a pretty good piece of one and there was a little bit of wind blowing in, uh, you know, he was yeah. maybe, maybe just missed it enough. One of our guys caught it with his back against the wall in the outfield, um, you know, and it was kind of like, wow, like everything's kind of going the right way and just, just a special game, you know, just, just kind of an unbelievable way to end a career. I, I really couldn't have asked for a better way to, for it to end. Like if you were to draw up a final game, you right. know, it's the championship game, let's say, or, you know, it's your last game of the season and you're getting that start. You know, how would you want to do it? You know, no walks. Like I said, I think it was 11 strikeouts and uh, no unearned run in a 5-1 win. You know, that was kind of that would be how you do it. So just a special, special game and kind of something that will stick with me forever as a, as a great way to kind of close out what ended up being a shortened career. That one unearned run has to still bother you a little bit, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I try not to complain too much. Sure, um, sure. You know, because there was games where I gave up a ton of my earned runs and my offense saved me by scoring. Exactly. You know, I gave up six. They scored eight. We won eight, six. Right. So, you know, we score five. It's only the one. 
and you know you 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 win some and you lose some, I guess. But but overall, I mean, the offense was was behind me that day. The defense was as well. They made some incredible plays. So you know, I guess I guess one earned unearned uh, run isn't that bad. Now, goofy question here, but do you have a ball or anything from that game? Yes, I actually do. So it was pretty cool. They uh, FIU, I remember, they actually had uh, conference balls with uh, their t- Tiger logo on them, and I saw it before the game, and I said. Wow, this is like really cool. So they gave me a game ball yeah. and my cousin was actually there. So I, 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 I stashed one away uh, just because I wanted to have it. And then after the game, I made sure that the ball that I, that he hit uh, for the final out, I actually right. made sure to grab that one. So I have a, I have a clean one and then I have the one that actually made the last out with it. Uh, it's actually sitting downstairs uh, on my uh, on our living room uh, uh, table. That's awesome. Now, <laughs> the pandemic, uh, you know, it continues to throw things into chaos, but especially college baseball, it threw, um, you know, a, a ton of things up in the air. What was it like for you when you found out things were shutting down at Penn back in March? Absolutely. So it was, it was honestly a crazy time. And, you know, I want to say this, with a, with the caveat, because at the time I didn't realize what the pandemic would turn into. And this sure. was, you know, the first day of it happening in the, in that moment. And it was, it was a, such a, you know, chaotic and, and very, um, stressful time almost. Right. So, so we're on, we're at FAU, we're down in Florida on our spring break trip. It was a Wednesday. I want to say, uh, we had just finished the FIU series where I had had my start. We were getting ready for the next Sunday series and all in our heads, right. We're playing this whole thing. Uh, you know, we had heard some murmurs, right? Like COVID was, there were some more cases popping up there, you know, there was murmurs going on all around, but we're talking to some of our athletic directors and our, our medical staff. And they're saying, no, everything should be okay. We should be good to go. Like, just keep doing your thing. We'll, you know, we'll communicate as needed. So we're about 10 minutes before first, first pitch down at FAU and uh, we get a call from the associate athletic director and it's, it's the call that a lot of almost every other in conference and sport and almost everything else in the world got eventually. And it yep. was, you know, your season's done. We're deciding to shut things down. You need to book a flight home. And, and, you know, it was that moment we were all standing there like so confused and, and FAU hadn't had their season canceled yet. So they came over, they were saying, man, like we feel so bad for you guys. Like, we're so sorry. Like if there's anything we can do, you know, the coaches were, were super great about it. And we were just kind of like standing there. you like just blown away by what happened. You know, we had guys, including myself, you know, tearing up. I, I didn't know my, I thought my career would have, was going to be over. I didn't really know what this meant. You know, we had guys who were going to, who eventually that would the game before was their last game they ever played. You know, we had seniors, uh, they were like, oh, well, I don't need my arm anymore. They were, you know, long tossing in the outfield. There were guys taking swings because no one really knew what to do at that time. Sure. Um, and, and, you know, I, including myself. So at the time I was a two year captain and, you know, I, it was always me. I had the answers for everything. And, and at that time I didn't even have answers. Right. So I, I, I didn't know what to do. I, I grew up, I've grown up uh, with, with a very strong faith and, and kind of in that time it was, it was super important for me to say, okay, well, there's a reason for this, right. There's a plan. Right. Um, and you know, it's hard to kind of think about that in the moment. I actually tweeted 
that day, like at the Ivy League, like, like, this is so unfair. How can you do this to us? Like, we deserve to play. We're the only league that was canceled. Yep. You, um, you all were the first. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, and again, being the first, uh, and I actually, I, you know, made another tweet after I said, wow, like, I was so off on this, you know, it's, it was so much more than just us being canceled. But again, in that moment, you know, it was like our whole world kind of came crashing down. Um, but, but so, so it kind of spent, sent us into like, we back to the hotel, we packed up, we, we hopped on the next flight out, uh, back to, back to Penn. And then it was sent everybody home and okay, now we'll figure out where things go. And that kind of led to, I guess, what would be the next kind of year. And then ultimately me transferring, um, Unfortunately, I didn't want to transfer. I wanted to go back to Penn, right? And I still kind of had this uh, unfinished business type feeling, like I was like I wasn't quite done there yet, right? Um, but kind of through everything that happened, you know, it just didn't wasn't able to work out that way. Yeah, I mean, when when things first went sideways, uh, you know, I I also work at uh, Temple University in addition to doing this, and I remember I think it was um, I forget what day of the week it was, but you know, they said, all right, we got to shut down. We're going home. And, you know, me being a bit naive, I'm thinking, all right, well, we'll be back like mm-hmm. Monday or, or, you know, a couple of days. And then I remember I was sitting at home with my wife. We were watching uh, the NBA on ESPN and it was the Mavericks and I forget who. And it was the game where Mark Cuban kind of was throwing his hands up like, wait, we're done. We're canceled. And at that very moment, it came across the ticker that Tom Hanks also had covid and I'll never forget Tom Hanks and Mark Cuban. That's when to me is like, oh, this is real. Like something, this this is bigger than we're just going to be home for you know a few days. Like this is legitimate. And um, yeah, and then it just spiraled. And um, it, it's wild, really yeah, is. Absolutely, I, I remember that same uh, that same announcement. Tom Hanks was he was in Australia or something like yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's stuck in Australia with COVID. And and so I'm thinking to myself. Like it was national news, like Twitter was buzzing about. I'm like, this is like, this right. like, like this is real, right? This is a this is a, someone that everyone knows, and this is a conf- this is like a confirmed the first kind of confirmed case of like s- someone popular, where celebrity, like, right? Right, where this is this is real, and then again, like as you said, NBA people, the you know stadiums were getting cleared out, people were in the locker room still, and it was like, okay, which might not just be right two weeks, it might not just be a week, yeah. But it's, it's going to keep keep on going. Yeah, I mean, if Tom Hanks can get it, anybody can get it. You know? I mean, it turned into that. And, um, you know, now transferring to Notre Dame, um, that whole process, you know, Penn, walk us through Penn's rule with this. So they, they do not give graduate students eligibility. Is that correct? Or is that an Ivy League rule? That's an Ivy League rule. Um, from my understanding, things may have changed over the last year and a half, but I, but from what I was told when it happened, um, graduate students cannot compete in Ivy league sports because not all eight institutions have graduate programs so that they deem it an unfair advantage for schools to have graduate students playing while others wouldn't have that opportunity. Okay. I can, you know, they have their rule, whatever it is, what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I totally understand. And I love your philosophy. Hey, unfinished business. I still can can make something uh, of my arm right now. 
Notre Dame. Walk us through why Notre Dame, the transfer portal, that process, what that looked like. Because I know, and you mentioned this earlier, faith is is a big part of you and, and your foundation. Absolutely. So, yeah, you know, I I did almost everything I could uh, to try to go back to Penn. I had conversations with coaches. I had meetings with uh, academic advisors, with uh, Ivy League advisors, and, and I was trying to find out what can I do? How can I do this? Um, ultimately there was a, there was a, a lot of roadblocks basically, and the decision had to be made and my coaches understood. And again, this is why they were so great. Um, this is why I have such a connection with them. Still, they said, look, we, after every, after I explained everything, they kind of knew from their side, what, how things were going as well. They said, look, we know what you have to do. Like you have to do what is best for you. And like, we're so behind you, you have our full support and everything. And for me, that was probably the the best part about it, you know, like the phone call I had with coach Yurka, where I told him that I couldn't come back. You know, I, I, it almost took me to tears because I didn't want to, I didn't want to leave. I was, you know, worried. I not, you know, I didn't I know how they were going to take it and I didn't want to kind of sever that tie. And I'm so, sure. so thankful that it didn't. Now it, it's actually, I got a text from coach Antello uh, shortly after I entered the, the portal. He said, would you be interested in talking to Notre Dame? And I thought to myself, why would you, like ask me, of course, like send them my number. Let me like, <laughs> I want to talk to them. Um, and uh, shortly after I got a call from, from coach Ristano and we hit it off and, and, you know, kind of there's, there, there'll be more to that in a little bit. But when I entered the portal at first, I was getting a, a, a good amount of emails, you know, from, from schools all over the place. I had just come off a really good season. Um, I had some stats to kind of show that I had, I mean, I was able to win at, at this level and have some success and a lot of schools, you know, were calling and I was kind of, honestly a little bit overwhelmed trying to answer emails back, talk to people, uh, a phone call here, talk to a guy, another guy would call in the middle of, you know, a phone call. So things got a little bit hectic um, at that time, but I kind of started to see some clarity through it. I would talk to some coaches and, you know, some programs that made sense for what I was interested in, what they needed. You know, I wanted to go be a starter somewhere and obviously I was going to have to perform, but do, do you, does a place need a starter? A lot of things to consider that way. Um, so, you know, I started narrowing it down to, you know, some schools I was talking to coastal Carolina FAU, uh, called even, you know, which is funny, the place where our season ended. Uh-huh. And now I'm talking right. to your coach, um, uh, UNC, some other ACC schools, Clemson, uh, Pitt. And my mom actually has family out in, out in Pittsburgh. So that was kind of like, Oh, uh, pretty cool. Like would, would get to spend some time out there. Um, Rutgers, you know, came and contacted me and, and ultimately kind of narrowed it down to, to final four. I had coastal Carolina, uh, Rutgers, Pitt and Notre Dame. And there was a lot of great things about all those schools. And I, I really think I would have had a great time anywhere. Um, but you know, I mentioned my faith a little bit earlier and, and this is kind of a, maybe a sign or, or something that I, that I really thought was like, wow, how can I kind of pass this opportunity up? And a lot of people know about the touchdown Jesus uh, statue sure. they have on their library. Um, you know, I always like to joke and say it's the Hesburgh library, but I didn't spend much time studying in there. I spent more time looking at the painting than I did in the library um, <laughs> while I was there. Uh, but you can see it from every point on their campus. You can see it from the football stadium. You know, you can see it from standing on the mound and, Again, this was at the point where we were all virtual. So they sent me an intro video about Notre Dame athletics. And the first thing was kind of a zoom in of this uh, touchdown Jesus statue, kind of with his arms open, you know. And, and for me, it was a moment of, of, you know, I don't know where my future is going to lead, but why not go somewhere where 
you know, there's a stat, there's a picture of Jesus kind of wel- sure. welcoming me into campus. Um, so that was kind of a powerful moment for me, something that I felt really connected me uh, with the school. Again, as well as I said, an unbelievable um, academic program, an unbelievable baseball program with one of the best uh, head coaches in the game. I think he just won two or three, you know, national coaches of the year awards. Yeah. Um, ACC ended up being ACC champions, losing to Mississippi State in the Super Regional. Um, just, just an incredible, incredible uh, baseball program, athletic program. Uh, again, me and Coach Rosano are just got off the phone the other day. You know, same thing. A great connection there with the coaches, and that was kind of super important to me because of how much my connection with the coaches at Penn allowed me to grow over that career. I went in, I went from a, you know, I think I had, I don't even know what my ERA was. I don't like to think about it freshman year, uh, <laughs> from six, seven innings to being a 60 or 70 innings as a right. starter, you know, uh, an Ivy league pitcher of the year, I was able to grow with them. And that was, you know, they trusted, they trusted a new coach Rosano and the coaches at Notre Dame. And then I, was able to trust and kind of connect with them as well. So that was uh, something that was super important for me, uh, just kind of making those connections and, and, and being able to say, okay, I trust, you know, uh, what, what I can do with this guy or that he believes in me and I believe sure. in him. And now again, you know, so, so it was a lot of things, right. You know, how can you say no to Notre Dame is ultimately kind of what it came down to for me. Like how can I pass up such an amazing opportunity? Now, sadly, you only were able to get two starts in there. There were two really good starts, but walk us through the arm issues that you encountered and, and just how that process went down. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of went through the fall there and, and everything was okay. Had a, had a pretty good fall. Uh, I think our team ended up when it won the fall world series. The, um, so everything was good. You know, that way started off the season. We actually canceled that first game because one of our uh, teammates had tested positive. So we, we weren't able to, we were supposed to go to LSU and play LSU Navy. I think it was Louisiana Tech in like an, in like an armed forces uh, tournament, unable to do that, um, which would have been, which would have been really awesome. But, you know, I had earned, I earned the opportunity to, uh, to get that start there at, at Wake Forest, where we ended up opening our season into ACC play and just kind of knew that they went. I believe it was three and zero in conference play. They swept North Carolina the year before just to start off conference, um, you know, and and we wanted to start off hot, right? Wake Forest at the time was ranked, I think, seventeenth in the country. Uh, had a powerful offense that that could just kind of hit the ball all over the yard, and we knew we needed to come in and, and kind of have a good series. So uh, we won. The, I think we won the first game on Friday. Uh, lost the second game, so it was one and one going into that Sunday uh, when I was supposed to start. And, you know, it was, it was like, a, I felt like a freshman kind of all over again. You know, I hadn't had nerves in game, you know, I would always get like a little bit nervous before games and before right. starts. Um, but I had never, you know, had never kind of hadn't felt this nervous in a few years, you know, but it was a, a mix of everything, right. The transfer, it was the first time playing an actual game in a year and a half, you know, with COVID cancer and everything. It was being at, at a new place, you know, the, the name of the ACC kind of everything had, you know, a little bit of butterflies, um, but kind of once that game started, you know, I was able to kind of fall back on what we talked about earlier, like the process or the, uh, the all the work I had put in and kind of went back to like, you know, how did I prepare? How well did I prepare for this? And was able to, to have some success that game, which was 
ended up being pretty cool because of the I was on a 75 uh, pitch count that game, but was able to go. I think it was four and two thirds. Right. Um, again, same thing. Like it's a lot easier. You got a guy behind the dish who who trusts in you. You got a defense to help you out behind, which was which was really awesome just to have. And you know, my 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 family flew out for the game, so they were down there watching me, and it was it was just an amazing amazing experience uh, being out there for that start. And it kind of was like a welcoming kind of, you know, I was able to settle down all the nerves settled. It was like, okay, this is where you're supposed to be. This is what you're supposed to be doing. You know, it was kind of like a continuation of where I left off the year before and you know, a little bit of a confirmation of like, you know, this is a good place for you to be. Sure. Um, so that was a, that was a pretty cool start. And then, you know, going into that next, uh, into that next week at Clemson, uh, same thing, right? Wanted to get ready, wanted to prepare, uh, knew that, you know, Clemson was, yeah, I mean, it's Clemson, right? You know, they got this, these beautiful stadiums. It's beautiful weather. Uh, what a great school and kind of storied, uh, sports history. And and now here I am, I'm going down, there's fans going to be yelling. There's places going to be packed. Tickets were sold out at the time. So it was going to be a little bit of a, of a, a, be, a bigger environment than, than Wake Forest, but right. The, the idea was still the same, prepare the same way. Um, before the game, I was warming up a little bit and like I overthrew my catcher a couple of times. I didn't really think anything of it. Uh, you know, just got back on track was like, make the next throw better. Kept working, was able to got through the bullpen and everything fine. Um, came out in the first inning, first inning, you know, some command issues, but I didn't really think anything of it. Um, I didn't think, you know, it wasn't really a glaring issue. I didn't give up a run. I walked a guy, but it was able to get the guy behind him out and right. get off the field figuring like, okay, regroup first innings over, go back out, kind of do what you do. Um, then that second inning, the next row, you know, there wasn't really a moment. A lot of people say they had like a moment of like a pop or like a pull, um, but it just kind of like gradually built. So I, you know, the, there's not, there wasn't like one pitch specifically. I remember, um, but I think it was somewhere between the second and third at bat. I walked the first kid, um, just was getting a little bit more wild. And then the second guy, wa- I think I walked him as well. And then I, I, I hit a guy with a fastball. It was supposed to be an outside fastball, but it ran across the plate and I hit him inside. Right. So, you know, the ball wasn't going where I wanted it to. I was having, I, I started to feel a little bit of pain. It was like a, a sharp kind of pulling pain as if when I would throw something was like pulling apart, which it turns out it was. Um, so second inning, I walked the bases loaded and, and no, I, I couldn't throw my fastball. My velocity was slowly dropping. And, and, you know, I didn't know this at the time until there was a pitch. I looked back and I saw an 83 and I'm like, that wasn't a slider. That was my fastball. Um, so I tried to throw the next one a little bit harder and it was 82. So, you know, I kind of knew there was, there was some command issues. There was a little bit of pain and the velocity was dropping. And like, that's like your big three, you know, signs of like, Hey, something's wrong. And, and, uh, so the next guy comes up and I'm like fighting, you know, trying to get this guy out. I want to get out of the situation. I got bases loaded. Like I can't let, let my team, you know, if I give up a home or I walk a guy or whatever the case is, like, I just, I needed to do something. Uh, so we went with the slider. I think I threw about six or seven sliders to this kid and, and, uh, you know, he, he swung over two of them. I'm like, I can get a strikeout. I can get a strikeout. Uh, so he ends up rolling one over the shortstop, make a great play behind me, turn two. 
uh, kind of the best result that could have came from that play. You know, so one run scores. Now there's a man on third, two outs. Uh, coach came out. He goes, look, you know, I'm not sure what it is, but something doesn't look right. We're going to take you out here. And I said, you know, I, I totally understand. Uh, kind of went back to the dugout. Uh, frustrated. I was frustrated about it, uh, but just about everything. You know, I, I kind of had known that there was something I was, something wasn't feeling right. It wasn't a great result. And I would only gone anything in the third. And after the game, my family was like, you know, a lot of, I got a lot of texts from people saying, you know, why didn't you stay in? Why, why didn't your coach leave you out? Why does he have such a short leash? You know, not knowing that he knew when something was up with me. I, you know, I knew as well. So I was okay with coming out. And I just said like, yeah, you know, I, I wasn't doing good. I, you know, I, I couldn't, you know, keep throwing at that pace, not really wanting to let anybody know and not knowing myself if anything was, was seriously wrong. Um, it wasn't until later that night on the, uh, we were on the plane ride back. Uh, I started to get some numbness and tingling up and down that my right side, kind of into the pinky and and the uh, and ring finger. And I, you sure. know, I, I was started talking to our to our trainer. I said, "Hey, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I felt during the game." He was like, "Okay, like you know, let's get you an MRI when we get back. Scheduled an MRI for for later in that week." And the initial results were that there was no tear. So it's I did. Uh, it's very hard. It's from from the next orthopedic surgeon I saw who explained kind of what the uh, radiologist was reading is that it's very h- hard to see a, a small tear in something or like or a gradual tear. So they were like, you're okay. So I was like, great. You know, I tried to do some rehab for about a week to see if I could pitch in that next Virginia series. Um, but every time I threw it, just, it just, it never got better and it kept getting worse. So then we saw, I, I finally saw the, the team orthopedist are and he said look there is a tear um it's about there's a 50 50 chance that if you do some rehab you can throw pain free and if not you know you'll have to get the surgery so for the rest of that season i did about it was about six maybe eight weeks some uh some physical therapy rehab some working uh some workouts specifically trying to um you know, take care of the arm, some heat, some stem, things like that. Trying to make, trying to see if we could strengthen uh, the muscles and everything around it to take to alleviate some of that pressure on the elbow during every throw, um, right? And then kind of build back up into a throwing program. Um, and unfortunately, it just didn't work. So, you know, during that time, I spent uh, as the bullpen manager. In a sense, I would have a walkie-talkie. The coach would call down, say, "Hey, get so and so ready to go in." I would say, "Hey, get ready to go in." Uh, which was which was pretty cool, a uh, pretty cool opportunity for me. I was able to kind of make sure guys were ready to go. Uh, you know, maybe younger guys that were going in, maybe say to hit to guys, hey, you know, before coach calls down, get your body ready, get your mind ready to go in, provide a little bit of guidance, a little bit of assistance uh, during that time. And then it was uh, the weekend we were playing Florida State. It was like, okay, if I can come back for Florida State, I can pitch for two for two more weekends, and then you know I'll be ready to go for the playoffs. Uh, threw, tried to throw a bullpen to to see, hey, can I can I really do this thing? Can I can I throw 100% pain free and and kind of have my command to be where I was? Uh, but unfortunately, I was not able to, and went ahead and scheduled surgery a little like two or three weeks later, uh, which from this point was about six months ago. On May 18th was was when I had uh, that full reconstructive uh, wow UCL surgery. Now, how does it feel now, Christian, for those that have never undergone anything like that? I mean, do you now have like full motion back? I mean, uh, you know, what, what is that like? Absolutely. So 
that's one of uh, full range of motion is is one of the most important things. Um, just to, from a from a starting standpoint, right? You know, when you get out, you have a new uh, ligament in your arm, and you need to kind of make sure that your that your arm can ex- uh, can flex and extend that full range. So that was probably the first month or two of physical therapy was specifically um, extending, making sure I could get that full range of motion back in my elbow. You know, so once you have that, you're, you're pretty much you're not going to lose it, uh, but you have to just make sure that in your program, you, you get it back. So I have full range of motion. Uh, I think it was around the two month mark where I was able to reach that. Uh, and while you're doing that, you want to build up the rest of the muscles, you know? So anytime you have a major surgery, you know, you, you know, I was only, I was in a cast for two weeks. Um, and, but in that time, you're not using the arm at all. Right. So, so your strength, you might lose a little bit of strength. You lose a little bit of, uh, you know, motion saying, you know, whatever the case may be. So that was what those kind of initial two or three months of therapy were working on. You know, let's get the elbow bending again. Let's get it extending. You know, let's work on some shoulder strength. Let's go, let's do some tricep work, some bicep, you know, some forearm stuff, um, and, and make sure that we, that we can stabilize this new ligament, that the body has time to get used to it. We can add load. We can increase, you know, carrying, so that you can carry shopping bags, you know, just on a normal day, or, you know, we can carry, we can do dumbbell rows, or we can do, we can, we can hold the barbell and we can kind of take on that force and slowly build it up so that now that when we throw the, the, the UCL is used to having all of that pressure and, you know, all that force and that torque of, applied to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, so, so that was again, the first two or three months of, rehab over that next three is kind of like i said overloading it building it up building it up and about four and a half months uh the four and a half month mark i started my throwing program uh just just playing catch uh 45 feet 60 feet 90 feet 120 feet 150 and the final step will be 180 in about uh another month and spending two weeks at each distance you know it's 25 throws so 25 throws on the first day a day off 25 throws, 25 throws, so 50 total on that next day and kind of building up from there. Again, reintroducing, hey, this is what it feels like to throw. This is how your arm, this is this is what it's going to do to your arm. This is this is how it's going to make you feel. Um, and then in slowly increasing that in that same in that same fashion. So again, you know, I've been throwing for about eight weeks now. I'm out to 120 feet. Everything kind of feels good. Um for, for where I am right now. And it's, it's, it's tough because, you know, all all, for the past five years, I've trained to, you know, be able to throw hard, to throw bullpens, to be able to start. So now I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of itching to, to do a little bit more, right. To throw a little bit harder. Yeah. Um, But but it's super important, especially now to say, okay, let me follow the storm program. Let me follow what my physical therapist, my strength coach and my doctors are all saying, uh, you know, and, and, and not, not push it. Just make sure that, Hey, we can withstand the throw and then slowly build up from there. Now going back to, to your final year at Penn, now Mm -hmm. as you were just coming out, uh, COVID season, I believe MLB instituted the five round draft. Now, any other year, things may have played out differently for you. Does that stick with you at all, uh, especially knowing now how Notre Dame went and, and the arm issues that you encountered? Absolutely. Absolutely, it does. And, and you know, again, you mentioned that year we had a great team, right? I, you know, Peter Maddow, our starting right fielder, went to Duke. Uh, he's now with the Cubs. 
Uh, Mitchell Holcomb, he was our number two, ended up at Rice as one of the, as their Friday night starter. Um, we had three or four guys who, who I thought could have continued to play on, but chose to go get jobs. And, you know, we had a shortstop, Josh Hood, who's now at NC State, our second baseman, Eduardo Malinowski, who's now at Virginia Tech. Uh, we got guys who were freshmen that year that are going to be, you know, in the transfer portal and, and taking on other ACC, SEC schools. Um in, in the near future, that, well, that team was probably the, the the best team that never was. You know, that was what we you know like to call ourselves. And yeah, um, so that year was was I was I believe and and I and I know in my heart was set up for for a special uh, special season. But but when they changed it to five rounds, you know, uh, I didn't know. I'm like, what am I? What am I? Like like how do I train? What do I do now in terms of my baseball career? I, we were still taking online classes, uh, but it was kind of in a period of kind of angst, um, where everything was unknown, you know, do I, do I keep throwing, uh, starts on Saturdays? Do I, do I try to th- train just bullpens and maybe try to throw a little bit harder? Am I getting ready for a season next year? Am I getting ready for a 40 round, a 20 round draft, like where everything was. So for that, f- like March, April, and May, I continued on as if we were good to have a regular season. Um, my brother, who was in Italy at the time playing professional basketball, he came home that they sent everyone home shortly after. And we would go up to our local little league park, uh, set up a screen and a, and a plate. He would sit behind it with a target for me. And, and I would throw simulated games to him. I'd throw a hundred pitches, five, seven innings out, you know, uh, of course my ERA was zero and I had, you know, th- 21 strikeouts every game. Sure. Trying to kind of simulate that 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 stress on the body because hey, what if the what if the draft comes, you know, my name gets called and I haven't done anything or maybe I've done too much. So it, you know, there was a time of who knows, you know, who knows what's going to happen here. And then once the draft was was limited to five, it was you know like okay, I have to look at my situation realistically. I'm a senior at Penn. I have the opportunity to go play somewhere else. Um, I didn't really get to finish off the year and I didn't, and I don't, uh, I didn't have, you know, uh, 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 I didn't, I don't throw that hard to where I thought I was going to be going in the fifth round. You know, if it was a 40 round draft, I, I do, I, I think that it kind of would have been my, a place for me somewhere in there. Yeah. I um, mean, kind of my name would have gotten called, but it was like, okay five rounds that's you know that's the that's your top guys right you know that's your top uh, whatever the number is a couple hundred guys and i'm probably not in that so let's focus on what what can i do now um and that was kind of what started the the school search and i said to all the schools look obviously i'm i'm still able and willing to go to the draft if i'm drafted um you know but i kind of you know, still have more from my arm. I still have a desire to play. And again, ultimately the goal was to play and still is to play, uh, you know, professional baseball. So like, how can I do that? And what gives me the best chance to do that next year? So again, you know, if I'm going to go to Notre Dame, play in the ACC as a starter, you know, I've in a sense increased my chances to, to get drafted that next season when it gets back to, you know, a quote unquote, and what we might see here in the near future as a normal draft of 20 rounds. Right. Yeah. And there's, and there's a ton and we'll, we'll probably, you know, I'd love to speak with you as the season progresses to Christian about, you know, roster composition at the college level. And, and some programs are now carrying ridiculous numbers of, of athletes 
because of the way COVID has influenced and, and messed with scholarships and and who's on, you know, who, who these teams are carrying from year to year, and you know the rosters are going to be wild for some of these teams. Absolutely, and and that's kind of the biggest thing that you know even the first year that we started there, the turnover rate was crazy. Guys were transferring all over the place. Um, younger guys were, were, were starting to transfer as well. We had, you know, you, you see these schools with grad classes of seven, eight, nine guys when that's a recruiting class. So you're bringing in your recruiting class of nine, a grad class of nine. Now you're 10 over the limit, you know, right. or, you know, and, and unfortunately the Ivy league does not have some of the capabilities that other leagues do. So we can't hold, no matter how much we would like to, a 45-man roster. If our limit is 38, we have to stick to that 38. So, so I think, you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting, and there's gonna be almost a backlog of players. Yes. I think for two, three years to come, because, for example, juniors at Penn who, who right now have three years of eligibility left. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Four. So they, when they were freshmen, they didn't get. They got canceled last year as sophomores. The Ivy League chose not to play again. Now they're juniors and they have four years. So that's two years that they get to play here, and then two years that they're going to go play somewhere else. So now for the next uh, in four years, these schools are still going to be ha- are still going to have grad transfers to choose from. You know, and <laughs> and, and and the Ivy League is going is saying we should have had four years of these guys, but now we only have two. So it's going to cause you know the talent to become maybe a little bit younger in the Ivy league, uh, maybe a little bit more inexperienced and, and on, you know, as speaking in generally, that's kind of what we're dealing with. Now the everyone on Ivy league team has not played a sport or the spring sport, at least over two years. Well, right. you know, I went through, I was fortunate enough to, to, to be able to play a full season, you know, and every other conference was able to, to get us some semblance of, of a normal full season. Uh, so now you're a year behind, now you're two years behind and it's, you know, like how we navigate kind of making up that gap is, is going to be very interesting to me. No. And I applaud everything that John did, you know, John, your Cal at Penn to, you know, last year to even try and get games in. And, you know, I think maybe it was 10 games and, and I think LaSalle was seven of them. Mm-hmm. And I think Delaware was three, if I recall. I mean, just the fact that he was even able to do that, um, you know, and, and get the athletes, you know, won the diamond. I'm not sure if the other Ivies were able to do that. Absolutely. You know, no. And, and, and again, it goes back to just, just how they are as coaches, right? They want to do everything they can to give our players the best opportunity possible. And unfortunately, like you said, it was only 10 or 15 games or whatever the number was. And, you know, Harvard, if you didn't live on campus, you couldn't play. And a lot of guys lived off campus, so they, they couldn't play. And, you know, whatever the the situation was, no other Ivy league, at least as far as my understanding got to play any games, you know, and, and they, they kind of found out what's the number to where we don't burn a year for these guys, but where to be, we can still play a few games and you're right. We played a Sal, you know, far too many times. We played <laughs> uh, Delaware three. We played a Villanova in a series, I believe at one point. Yeah. Um, and, and credit those schools for kind of understanding the situation and, and, and adjusting to kind of help us out. Right. You know, we got, sure. we did get whatever it is, you know, 50 innings in or a hundred, you know, whatever the number was in 10, 15 games of, of some experience of, of, you know, not wasting a full year. Uh, right. For these guys, which which you know was incredible, you know, thinking in terms of kind of what was taken away from them and and what what were 
or what are we able to give back, you know, even a little bit. Right. No. And I know David Miller over at LaSalle, uh, you know, I know he was excited just to keep playing more games. I think they played 50, 58 or something last year. And uh, you know, that was their last hurrah. So they just wanted to keep, they just wanted to keep playing. So I think they could have played you another 10 more times if, yeah. <laughs> uh, if both of you agreed to it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So walk us through your job now. So you're, you're coaching at Penn, uh, pitching development coordinator. For, for those uninitiated, what does that mean? What do you do? Absolutely. So, you know, I try to do a little bit of everything. Uh, think of myself as wearing multiple hats. Um, but a lot of the stuff that I that I do is is on the you know analytical or, or technological side. Uh, we just got Rapsodo, um, the system that it's a radar system that kind of can track hitters uh, and pitchers, uh, ball off the bat and ball coming in from the mound. It can give us a ton of metrics like uh, spin rate, spin efficiency, obviously velocity. You got release angle, release height, uh, gyro spin, uh, like uh hand degree in terms of like if you were to look at a clock where where's your arm while you release it and all these different numbers that you know you see teams kind of going over and looking at to say you know how can we make guys better uh so that's one thing we just installed track man uh, at our park which is going to allow us to have a ton of access of other schools data so when schools come to play us and have track man we can see what are their seasons breakdowns what are their pitchers breakdowns can we get some video of these guys we'll be able to share that with other teams as well um and so, so uh, kind of handling that, setting it up, understanding how to use the information that we're getting into into developing our pitcher. So if we see a high spin rate, you know, uh, if average is you know let's say twenty one hundred or two thousand rotations per minute on a uh, on a fastball, if someone has a spin rate of twenty three hundred with pretty high efficiency ninety ninety five percent, well that tells me that the ball you know you're spinning the ball well and you have induced vertical break of of 17 or 18 when the normal is like 14 or 15 well now your ball actually appears to like rise you know softball they throw a rise ball guys say well that that ball looks like it it went up well this tells us that it, it never actually goes up but it just fights gravity better in a sense so hitters perceive it as going up so let's throw the ball up in the zone We'll think it's down, and but it stays on its lane, and that's where we can be effective with that pitch. Or if we say, okay, here's a you're throwing a slider, but your efficiency is only eight percent, where we want it to be thirty percent. You know, how can we we have a, a a camera as well that that can tell us, okay, well your hand positioning is a little bit wrong. So that's you know kind of a, a smaller example of of a broader image of what I try to do with with some of these Rapsodo numbers. Um, I'm also lucky enough to to be able to make uh, to be able to be at practice and kind of watch the guys, and then you know I can talk with with Coach Schwartz and you know he says what do you see here? If you know maybe can, can I make up? Can I make some drills? Um, can I think up some some ways or some. Uh, some throwing variations to help with an arm swing issue or to help adjust mechanics. Um, so, so trying to do some stuff again, just to, just to make what we have, make our guys maybe the better version of themselves. Kind of like I talked about earlier, you know, how can we take what you do and help you do it better? Um, so that's probably two of the, two of the biggest things I do helping out with the kind of analytical technical side of, of analyzing, your the pitches and even the hitters you can see what's your what's your uh 
exit velocity? You know, are you backspinning the ball or did you get on top of it? What's your launch angle? You know, how's your, is your bat, what's your bat path kind of like? So, and again, that's, I, I don't have a ton of, you know, experience hitting, being a pitcher, that's more of my area of expertise, but I can kind of say, okay, here's what the numbers tell us. And then let the coaches kind of make their adjustments from there. So you're not the guy then to ask, uh, is analytics killing baseball? Nah. So <laughs> we, we actually had an interesting, uh, uh, we call them chalk talks about this the other day. And, you know, I, I was able to lead it. And, and, and I talked to the guys about like, we have all these numbers and they're all great. You know, it's, and, and we see the rays are doing it right. You know, we, we yeah. want to start with openers. We want to have, we want to bring in a lefty for a matchup. We want to bring in a righty for this guy. This guy's got a high spin. So he wants to swing. We want him to face this guy who has a low swing. And I, and you know, there's a time and place for, for it. Absolutely. There is. And, and there's a lot of things that can be done. A lot of good that can come from understanding these numbers, tracking these numbers, but, I, I tell them all the time, man, these numbers are not out there on the mound with you. These numbers, you know what I mean? These, these rap yeah. soda metrics, they're not throwing your fastball for you. So I can, I can see how high your spin is, but if, if you if you don't throw a strike, you know, that's that you're not going to be in the game very often, or you're not going to be able to get people out. So for me, I think there has to be a mix of it. I think we have to be able to use them to kind of understand how each player can be good. What is the ideal maybe in a situation? Um, but, you know, if I put a guy out there because the numbers say he should be out there, but he doesn't want to be out there. He's, you know, he, he's not scared of the moment, but he, you know, he's not going to do well in a pressure situation. You know, now we kind of have to say, okay, like think of the, just do the eye test, you know, or, or sure. kind of say, you know, in a sense, you know, this guy's tired. He's at the, he's at the end of his, his pitching and it's set. We should take him out, but I know he's going to get this guy out. He knows he's done it before. He can do it again type, type of deal to where we can use them to, to help better the game. But there's a, pl- there's a time for them and a, and a time to kind of say, okay, let's just play baseball. Right. We, let's get back to, to the game, how it should be played. I love what you just said there, Christian, that these numbers are great to have, but they're not going to be throwing the fastball for you. Yep. Like, I think that's, I think that's a, a very important thing. Cause there's people on both sides of this argument that claim, you know, we need more numbers and, and, you know, let's, let's, you know, go fan graphs, you know, on the bottom of the television screen during the ball games. And then there's others where they think MVP should just be based on, you know, home runs and uh, wins for a pitcher. You know, and I think there's a happy medium somewhere there in the middle. So, mm-hmm. um, but I, I really like what you're saying there—that hey, the numbers won't won't throw the ball for you. Absolutely. Well, look, Christian, it has been a pleasure to talk ball with you um, over the last hour, and I envision us hooking up very close to the start of your season, which uh, your schedule was just released, right, for Penn? Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, any highlights? A and Yeah, so we're starting off at Texas A&M, which I'm super excited about. Uh, we're going to be heading down there. And then I think we we go on a week long uh, trip. We play a mixture of Winthrop College of Charleston and one other school. I want to say Wofford. Um, and then I just I'm excited to get back and start Ivy League play. You know that's that's what I'm really excited for. Uh, get to get to be a part of a team and and see a group of guys who are going out and and competing for an Ivy League title again. You know that was kind of something that eluded me, and you know I thought we would have had it that 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 senior year, uh, but eluded me the other three. 
So kind of maybe, you know, a little revenge for me or, or kind of, like I said, that unfinished business idea of, hey, this is, this is I want to I be a part of a team that wins it. And, and that's kind of the goal here for me. I love it. I love it. Christian Scafidi, everybody. Thank you again, Christian, for joining us here. Absolutely. Thank you for having me and looking forward to coming back. 